You know it hurts me when I cook it that way, Mary! Well, the customer's always right, Charlie, even if they want their hamburger cooked well done and topped with cheese. I'm telling you, it just isn't decent! Hey, sugar, welcome back. What can I get you today? Coffee? Yes, coffee, black, two eggs, scrambled, on toast, and ham, I think. You got it, sugar. Be right back. Charlie, I need Adam and Eve on a raft and a side of Noah's boy. And do you have my biscuits and gravy yet? Almost, almost. You can't rush art, Mary. Well, when Booth 5 complains, I'll tell him to come talk to you, Michelangelo. Oh, welcome. Oh, I'm so sorry, but we're full up this minute. But if you want, there's some nice benches out front. I can give you a holler when a booth's open. Oh, wait. I just wanted to get some lunch before I had to go to work. He can sit here. Oh, how sweet. What do you say? Mine's splitting a table with Daniel here. He's a regular and a real slow guy. Um, uh, yeah, sure. All right, now what can I get you? A hamburger and a Coca-Cola. You got it coming right up. Charlie, burn one and pour me an Atlanta special. Yeah, yeah. I'm Daniel, by the way. You look familiar. I'm Eddie. I just started a new job at Mike's Garage down the street. It's great because when I'm not too busy, he lets me work on my own. It's going to be a beauty when I'm done. Looks like Uncle Sam is still looking for young men to help fight this new war in Korea. You ever think about signing up to serve your country? Mechanics are always in high demand. Yeah, well, that's not really my thing. I'm not looking to do much except make enough money to work on my car and take my girl out to a movie on Fridays. All right, eat up, boys, and give me a holler if you need anything else. Well, when I was your age, I jumped at the chance to put on a uniform. It was a privilege and an honor. Listen, I appreciate you sharing your table with me, Danny Boy, because I'm starving, and I don't want to be late for work. But see, I don't need a guilt trip from you, old man. Like I said, I'm not looking to do anything except have fun and enjoy this delicious burger. You owe your country your service. You, my friend, are quite the square. Just eat your eggs and drop it. I don't owe nobody nothing. You know, this younger generation, I just don't understand you. You just live in the moment. You have no honor. You have no respect. Your father should have taught you some manners. My father never came home from France. I'm sorry to hear that, but how can you just blow this off like it doesn't matter? What's wrong with you? Why are you so self-scared, okay? Is that what you want to hear? You just don't get it. My friend Jake, he, he got drafted last week and he's heading off to Korea. I haven't even heard of Korea before this mess. I can't just help but think, what if I'm next? What if I don't come back like my dad? Not me, man. I'm gonna squeeze every drop of life out of every moment because today may be my last day. I do understand. When we were fighting in the Second World War, we were all scared. Some of the bravest and best men I ever knew didn't get a chance to come home last time. Sometimes even now, I get scared all over again. And what do you do when it's too much? Well, first, I come here every day 
and I sit, I drink my cup of coffee, I say a prayer, and I thank God to be alive. A prayer? Come on, man, you sound like my granny. Church stuff is for women and kids and, and men with no spine. Do I look like a man with no spine, son? No, sir. Sorry. I just don't see how this is going to help me. Well, I guess for me, it reminds me that I'm very much alive. And that I'm safe. That it's all right. It reminds me that I shouldn't feel guilty that I came home and... And my friends didn't. It gives me hope. So... Can you promise me that if I try this prayer thing, that, that my friend Jake will come home? Can you promise me that if I try this prayer thing and my number gets called, that I'll even get the chance to come home? No, I can't. But I can promise you this. I plan to be here tomorrow and the next day, and I'll share my table with you, and I'll listen. I'll share my prayer with you, too. And if you'd like, you bring your buddies along as well. I'm happy to listen to anything you need to talk about, Eddie. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. But what I do know is that I have to get to work and call my girl. Thanks, Daniel. You all done, sugar? That boy seemed a little upset. He'll be okay. Save my table for tomorrow, same time as usual. You bet. Mary, pour two cups of coffee tomorrow, will you? You expecting company? Not expecting, but hoping. Never give up hope, Mary. Hope keeps us alive. Have you ever been in a spot where you felt like you didn't belong? Felt a little bit like an outsider? You just kind of felt a little out of place in that place? When I first started working out at the gym in 2013, after having not been in a weight room since I was required to be by the state of Missouri at Joplin High School, um, that was me. I felt exceedingly out of place. I'd look around and I'd see these guys and the only thing they lacked was tights and a cape. And, and they could pass for any hero that Marvel could put on the screen, right? And I'd look across the gym and I'd see some young woman lifting more weight than I knew I could manage. And the only thing that made, that wor made it worse was looking across the gym and seeing an old woman lift more weight than I could manage. And It's rough on the male ego, man. 
man, when I started working out, I felt like such an outsider. Now, six years later, and if my app is correct, uh, 24.1 million pounds later, yes, I track it, I don't feel that way anymore. I walk in there, and I know a lot of the regulars by name. Sometimes I don't even have to check in with my little card. They see me walking in. You're, you're, you're checked in, Casey. And I go, and I do my stuff, and I'm, I, I feel like I fit in. I know some people there. I'm not embarrassed there anymore. I can't outlift most of the women. Um, I think that's common for a lot of us. I think we tend not to frequent places where we feel like an outsider. And so when someone from that place comes and befriends us and makes us feel welcomed and wanted and valued in that place, man, that can make all the difference in the world. We're starting a new sermon series today called The Diner. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at passages in Luke's gospel where Jesus eats a meal with people. Every week, we're going to see a story set in a diner like you just witnessed today. And and these stories, there's not one narrative arc. There are a couple characters that, that play the same through there. But you'll see as time passes how life is lived out in this diner as people, sometimes unlikely combinations of people, eat meals together. I want to publicly thank Jeff Hansen for building this beautiful set. He had a lot of help from other people, but he was kind of the primary mover there, and I'm just grateful for for our team and our actors today uh, who did that. So thank you for being here today. I'm glad you're at Chapel Rock this morning. If you're new, when we're done, I'd love to meet you. I'll be down front. Please come uh, down and say hi and introduce yourself. For those of you watching online, appreciate you logging in. Uh, I know some of you might be doing that because you're on fall break and so we can't wait for you to get back hope you're having fun wherever you are but but uh, we'd love for you to be here if you're local to Indy please uh, there's just something you can only get when you're here in the room and so we would invite you to, to come and, and be here with us um, we uh, a few just housekeeping things this morning a couple announcements as we're getting going next uh, here in a couple weeks uh, Sunday November 3rd is our fallback festival, okay? Uh, several, pe- several hundred people have already signed up. We really do need to know the church is going to provide hot dogs and like a giant huge vat of chili to make sure we have enough to feed the community. So we really do need you to sign up, okay? You can do that on your connection card. Just give us a number of how many people from your household are going to be there. Uh, that's all you need. And you only need to do it the one time. If you've already signed up, we don't need to know again, all right? We, we got you. Uh, we're taking care of that in the office. Uh, please let us do that. We're promoting this on Facebook. So this is going to be a great opportunity. You get an extra hour that day. Come spend it doing something fun. All right, and so if you want to sign up to bring chili, the cost is like ten bucks. Okay, but all that's going to go to our food pantry. The proceeds from that simply go to help support our food pantry. It has about doubled. Uh, Andy and Kim Harris told me just in the last month or so. There's another one here in the area that's shutting down this week. I'm guessing we'll get a lot of those folks. So this is really important. It's a crucial need in our community. Chapel Rock is really a leading voice there in that, uh, in that environment. And so I want to encourage you, if you want to bring chili, the proceeds go to, to support the, the, uh, the food pantry. And it's, just, it's going to be a great night. You get an extra hour anyway. Just come spend it doing uh, fun stuff with your favorite folks. That would be us. Okay, um, 
So also, uh, next uh, Sunday is our uh, retirement reception for Rick Taylor. Been here 38 years as our building administrator. Uh, that's also his birthday. <laughs> so uh, it's going to be a great day. It's from 2 to 4 in Connection Corner. We originally planned that to not conflict with the Colts game, and then doggone it, the NFL moved it. Um, don't have any control over that. I mean, I called the commissioner, and he was like, whatever, dude. So <laughs> we have a thing. You can't do that. Um, Anyway, so the deal is, if you come, no spoilers. Like, you can't be tracked, because they're going to go home and watch it. So you can't track it on your, like, hey, this cord, shut up. Um, so <laughs> don't do it. But from 2 to 4, In Connection Corner, I want to encourage you uh, to be here about that. Also, we still need uh, some volunteers for uh, the Fallback Festival, so uh, check out the kiosk. Um, Wired is coming up starting next Sunday. Uh, if you want to really get plugged in here at Chapel Rock, if you want to find how, who God has made you to be, you need to be part of that. If you haven't been through it, uh, I really want to encourage you. Go ahead and sign up. Do that in your bulletin. Call the office. Let us know. A great way. It'll be three weeks, so be here in this service, and then you stick around for the 11 o'clock hour. We have you know, coffee and donuts and all that kind of fun stuff, but it's, it's just a, a great experience to really figure out who God has made you to be. So I want to encourage you to do that. Also, some of you may have seen the email that uh, Steve Copsey passed away this week. I don't know any arrangements yet, just want to let you know. So kind of be watching your email uh, for, for information about that and be praying for, for Buena. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you're here to, today on this, the beginning of this new series. If you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps, I want you to open them to Luke chapter 5, verse 27. For this whole series, we're going to be in Luke's gospel. We started out the year there, and we're kind of coming back to this, looking at some of the meals that Jesus eats with people in this uh, gospel. It's kind of a theme for Luke. He, he really picks up on this experience. And the question we're going to address for the next several weeks is this. If Jesus walked into your favorite diner, who would he sit down and eat with? If he walked into your favorite spot to grab a bite, where would he land? <laughs> In our text for today, we find out that Jesus eats with sinners that's who Jesus chooses to sit down next to, is sinners. <laughs> the word is used somewhat pejoratively in the text, so I probably ought to define what I mean when I use the word sinner. Some people have a hard time with that word, certainly if, you, if applying it to themselves. They don't like it when you call them that, and, and they kind of push back. They're like, come on, man, you're being all judgy on me. Hang on a minute. And here's, what, here's all I say. I said, well, tell me, have you ever done anything wrong? And the answer is always the same. Well, yeah. Okay. The Bible has a word for people who've done things that are wrong. That word is sinner. That's the word. It's not a judgy word because, like, that's all of us. In the long history of humanity, that's everybody with one notable exception. His name is Jesus. <laughs> like, that's, it's a, every, it, that word applies to everyone. The Pharisees didn't quite get that, though. <laughs> They saw themselves as not belonging to that category. They saw it as a categorical distinction. There's us who are righteous and then the quote-unquote sinners. And sometimes in your NIV Bible, you'll even see it in quotes. <laughs> the sinners. That's how they use the word. They were using it all judgy. And Luke wants us to understand that that's all of us. That Jesus eats with sinners, and you better be glad because that's every single one of us in this room. We're all sinners, by, it's certainly by habit. If Christ has saved you, then you're a saint by category, but you're a sinner by habit. And Luke wants you to understand that's you, and you should thank God because Jesus eats with sinners. In our text, we have a guy named Levi. He knew who he was. 
The Pharisees refused to see their own sin. And they used that term as an insult. You could hear it in their voice. Listen as we read the text together. Luke 5, 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect. Now here's the point that they're saying. Not all the teachers of the law were Pharisees, but these teachers of the law were. Okay? The teacher of the law was like a professional scribe. They got a, like a check from the temple, so to speak, to do that job. Not all the Pharisees were teachers of the law. Not all the teachers of the law were Pharisees. But in this case, those two groups overlap. That's what they're saying here. Okay? And they ask, they complain to the, his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Can you hear the disdain in their voice there? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now this happens shortly after Jesus has called Peter and Andrew and James and John to be his disciples. Probably happens after he's called Philip and Nathaniel as well. In the passage just prior to this one, Jesus has forgiven the sin of and then healed a paralytic. And that distinction is important. First, he forgives his sin. Everybody freaks out. Who is this that can forgive sin? And then he says, get up and walk. And the guy does. The miracle indicating that Jesus has authority to do what he first did, to heal the guy's sin, or to forgive his sin. Okay? So, so here's what's happening in the Pharisees' mind. They're, they're, they're noticing this disconnect. Jesus is eating with <gasps> sinners. But they know he's a righteous man. Because only a righteous man could pronounce forgiveness from sin. And they can't square that in their head. Wait a minute. He just, in the passage just before this, he forgave the guy's sin. Now he's eating with tax collectors and drunks. What, what, who is this Jesus guy? Why would he do that? Well, the answer to that question is our big idea today. The big idea is this. When Jesus eats with sinners, it's because he wants to identify with them and forgive their sin. That, that's really the answer to that. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he go to Levi's house and, and hang out with all his sinful buddies? Well, he wants to identify with them. He wants to forgive their sin. The text, I think, I mean, that's the simple answer. There's really three answers to that question. Why does Jesus eat with sinners? Here's the first answer. Number one, to identify with them. Jesus eats with sinners to identify them. Levi was an outsider, as a tax collector, the Jews thought of him as a collaborator with Rome. Therefore, they would have perceived him as a traitor to his nation and therefore a traitor to his God. To the religious day, uh, uh, religious people of, of Jesus' day, there's no way in their mind that Levi could be considered part of their community because his job made sure that he was continually, ritually unclean. 
Now, you've got to go back and read Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy to get the whole context of that. But basically, there were clean people who followed the law and unclean people who didn't. And because Levi was constantly in contact with Rome, therefore he was constantly in contact with unclean Gentile people, therefore he was continually ritually unclean. So there's the legal Jewish issue there, but not only that, here's the way this worked. You bought a contract from the Empire of Rome to collect taxes. They said, based on our census, remember when Jesus was born, they had to take the census. Based on our census, this is how many people live in your district, this is how much you should collect in taxes. Whatever you collect beyond that, that's your pay. Well, that system doesn't lend to corruption at all. (laughs) You You think our government's messed up. Whoa. So he just, you know, he was not only... Was he continually unclean because of his contact with Gentile people? He's literally ripping off his own countrymen. Literally ripping, stealing from them to line his own pocket. Zacchaeus was the worst, but Levi's right there behind him. They hated this guy. Can you imagine what was going through Peter and Andrew and James John in their mind when Jesus walks by Levi's tax collector booth and says to the literally phrase like syllable for syllable the exact same thing he said to them just a few weeks earlier follow me imagine what they're thinking oh jesus not him anybody but him oh don't pick that guy we hate that guy because he's in galilee guess who they pay their taxes to levi and jesus picks these very unlikely people and calls them both into discipleship with him. He's unquestionably a sinner. Listen, we have a tendency in the church today to romanticize this. Don't gloss over this. Levi is a slime ball. Okay? Not a good guy. And yet Jesus walks right up to him and says, follow me. He calls him into a discipleship relationship with himself. And I want you to notice, Jesus is the one taking all the initiative here Levi's just responding to Jesus' call. He's so moved that Jesus would call him. He decides to throw him a big party so Jesus can meet all his other slime ball buddies. He's like, wow, cool. Yeah, let's, let's throw a party. I'll bring the, I'll bring the wine. You know, like it's, he's completely just leaves everything. Yeah, I'm in with you, Jesus. I'm with you. <laughs> See, in the first century, if you ate with somebody, that meant that you identified with them in some way. That you had something in common with them. In his book, Contagious Holiness, Craig Blomberg writes this. Judaism viewed mealtimes as important occasions for drawing boundaries. Dining created an intimate setting in which one nurtured friendship with, notice his language here, the right kind of people eating the right kind of food. <laughs> and Jesus goes to this guy's house, and he is with at least the wrong kind of people. Now, Jesus never committed a sin, which meant he followed the law as it was given down in Leviticus. So Jesus would not have eaten anything truly unclean. Now, the Pharisees had drawn lines that God did not, okay? So Jesus would have followed that law. I don't know that he would have eaten unclean food, but he's certainly with unclean people. Why? Because he wanted to identify with them. He wanted to say, we have something in common Now, here's the thing. Theologically, think about this. What on earth? 
could Levi and his slimeball buddies have had in common with the second person of the triune Godhead in human form, Jesus of Nazareth? What on earth could they have had in common? I'll tell you, God loved them both. That's what. Because just a few verses earlier, you've got God saying, this is my son whom I love. And God loves Levi and all his slimeball buddies. And he's quite happy to go to a party that Levi hosts in his honor. Here's the thing. If you're not willing to acknowledge your own sin, you don't have any use for Jesus. If you can't look in the mirror and go, you know, there's something not right about you. (laughs) I don't know what you think you're doing with the Lord. Know this, though, if you are, if you are a no-good, low-down, rotten, two-bit sinner, Jesus will sit down and eat with you. <laughs> There's a reason why we say that here at Chapel Rock, the target, the people we're trying to reach are people who know things aren't right but want them to be. There's a recognition, something is not right in me still. Jesus is still working on me, but I want it to be right. Something is not right in our community, but I want it to be right. Something is not right in my neighborhood, but I want it to be right. So I'm going to bring that to Jesus and let him deal with it. See, in the church, we tend to read this story, and if you've been a Christian for very long, like I have, we, we tend to identify with Jesus. We t- like, where are you in the story? Oh, I, I want to be like Jesus. And that's, that's good, that's right, but it's a little bit presumptuous. Because <laughs> if you were to ask, who do I identify with in the story, the answer probably should be that we identify with Levi. I certainly hope you don't identify with the Pharisees. If you do, you've got some repenting to do today. Either way, you're a sinner by habit. <laughs> Jesus is willing to identify with you, to cast his lot with you, because he has a goal in mind. And to accomplish his goal, he has to eat with sinners. And here's the second reason why. He wants to influence their friends. I mean, he's going to identify with them. He's going to have something in common with them. God loves them both. But in order to, to, to reach that goal of expressing his love, he has to influence their friends. Nobody will deny that we need good friends. We need people who can help us navigate the hardships and difficulties of living in a broken world full of sinners. You need a friend who can look you in the eye and and speak truth to us. The reason that I started to go to the gym in the first place back in 2013 is a good brother who I love in the Lord looked me in the eye and said, you are fat. (laughs) He actually used the word obese. And then he said this. Now, at the time, Evan was just a baby. Okay? Okay. He said, you will not be around to meet your youngest grandchildren if you don't change your life. Just twist the knife, dude, thanks. He was absolutely right. Then he said, I I want to see you make a difference, and so I'm going to buy you a year-long membership at the Y. Truth and love. Church, that's how you do that. Speak the truth in love. Jesus eats with sinners so that he can, yes, connect with them, but he also wants to influence their whole network of friends. 
The text tells us that Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now notice when the Pharisees talk about the others, they use the term sinners. When Luke talks about the others, he just says other people. (laughs) Catch the difference there? Here's why this matters. In the previous verse, the text says that Levi, quote, left everything and followed Jesus. The verb tense that Luke used there indicates that maybe a better translation would be that Levi, quote, began to follow him. The action began and continued. It had continuing, ongoing action. It emphasized that this was the beginning and the continuation of Levi's discipleship. Here's what this means. The giant party that Levi throws for Jesus and, and invites his friends to attend as well should be understood as one of the ways that Levi is following Jesus. That's how Levi is doing discipleship. Sometimes we have this mindset that, well, you got to go to church and you got to be in a Bible study and you got to, you know what you can do? You can invite your lost slimeball buddies to share your dinner table. That's discipleship too. Levi is doing dinner table discipleship here. See, Jesus eats with sinners because he wants to influence their friends as well. The word translated eating in verse 29 literally means to recline at the table. In the first century, they, they would eat not sitting at a, a booth like this one or at a table, but they would, when they were going to really enjoy a meal, they'd have a long, low table about a foot off the ground, and they'd kind of lean on a cushion and stick their feet out behind them and just sit there and enjoy the evening and talk. And This is a long, leisurely meal where people are having a discussion. There's no rush here. <laughs> It's not like Jesus ran into Levi and his slimeball buddies at the Taco Bell and just wolfed it down and walked out the door. That's not what's happening. This is a dinner party. This is, this, we're, we're having a discussion. We're engaging. We're identifying with one another by doing this. Levi wants his friends to get to know Jesus. See, Jesus eats with sinners so that they can make the same investment. Can I ask you to do that? I want to issue a challenge to those of us who are are already committed followers of Jesus. When is the last time that, that you had dinner with someone who doesn't follow the Lord? When's the last time you leveraged the comfort and home turf advantage of your dining room table for the sake of the gospel? I will confess to you it's been far too long for me. And God has really beaten on me on this. He's been working on me about this church. And I'm guessing I'm not alone in that. (laughs) I'm guessing all of us wrestle with this. When's the last time you had someone profoundly not like you, and in the most significant respect, (laughs) who's not a follower of the Lord, at your dining room table? Levi's doing dining table discipleship. Are you? So my challenge for you is before Thanksgiving, before the end of this series... Have someone at your table, not like you in the most significant way, that they're not a follower of the Lord, but maybe others too. Not the same color, they don't vote the same, they don't have the same income you do. (laughs) There's a great book, it's just a fantastic resource that I want to show you. It's this book called Eats with Sinners uh, by Aaron Chambers. Good brother and Lord preaches out in Greeley, Colorado. 
Uh, he wrote this book, Reaching Hungry People Like Jesus Did. This is about like 12 or 15 bucks on Amazon. Fantastic. It's great for good motivation, lots of ideas. There's even some recipes in here for those of you who are whizzes in the kitchen. It, it's just, it's a wonderful resource, great thing to read as kind of a companion volume to this series. Uh, I would just encourage you, really great resource. If you want to grab a copy of that and read it, it'll really help you with this whole idea. There's, there's one more answer to this question. Why does Jesus eat with sinners? Well, he wants to identify with them, he wants to influence their friends, but most of all, he wants to change their lives. That's why Jesus eats with sinners. He wants to change their lives. Jesus tells the Pharisees essentially, listen, I'm not here to help healthy people take their vitamins. I'm here for people who are in ICU. That's why I came. And his statement to the Pharisees in verse 32 balances this radical command for us in following Jesus to eat with sinners. Jesus is calling sinners to repentance. He's calling them to change their lives. Sometimes I think that our culture in their perception of Jesus has this also a little out of balance. Because there are a lot of people in our culture who believe that Jesus would not have anyone ever change. He would certainly never want you to feel bad about yourself or anything in your life that's out of place. That's not my Jesus either. (laughs) He He came to call sinners to repentance. The very first thing out of Jesus' mouth, his very first message is, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. And I'm convinced that many of us don't really understand repentance. I think a lot of people, maybe in the church, maybe in our culture, think of repentance as feeling sorry or guilty for your sin and a a sincere desire to really not want to do that again, and that's it. That's not the way the Bible defines repentance at all. At least that's, that's only a part of it. Biblical repentance in Scripture involves action, It's a conscious and intentional choice to live differently and then taking the appropriate action to implement that choice. That's what Levi's doing in the text. It says he left everything. What's that mean? He walked away from his job. Levi had to go. He knew to follow Jesus meant he's going to have to find a new job. Now, for some of you to follow Jesus authentically, it's not going to require that you change jobs. It may change the way you do your job. You could still do your job and follow Jesus. I mean, to use the extreme example here, like if you're a hitman for the mob, <laughs> you're probably going to need to find a new job. If I could get serious for a second, if you're involved in some kind of trading your body for money, you need to find a new job, but I fully recognize that might not be your choice. And if that's you, you, email me privately. We have some resources we can put into play to try to help you get out of that situation. Some, sometimes you just got to change. It's a wholesale change. And that's what Levi does. He walks, he literally leaves everything. He walks away from his job, walks away from his former life to follow Jesus. Levi gets that Jesus came to change his life. And because of that, He introduced Jesus to his friends. And the next time Levi is mentioned, he's listed in the 12 apostles. See, Levi had another name. His other name was Matthew, and he wrote a book in your Bible. 
He's one of the 12. Jesus changed this guy's life. He wants to change your life, and he wants to change your friend's life. See, the Pharisees thought Jesus should be separate from sinners, but Jesus was trying to tell them, I can't love them if I'm not with them. So he came to identify with them, to influence their friends and change their lives. I don't think I can say it any better than Daryl Bach did. He's a New Testament scholar and he wrote this. Certainly no one cares more about a life of righteousness and moral integrity as our Lord does, but he refused to get into a, a type of, quote, appearance of evil that prevents him from relating to sinners in contexts where such associations do not produce moral compromise. In fact, Jesus takes the initiative in seeking out sinners and calling them to God. In a similar manner, we should be proactive in pursuing the lost. There's something that's so vital that you see here in this text. The Pharisees ask the question, why do you, it's plural in the text, why do y'all eat with sinners? The disciples don't answer the question. Did you notice that? Jesus does. Jesus answers the question. Here's my point. If you are loving people the way Jesus did, you don't have to worry about your reputation. He will take care of that. He will answer for you. If you are radically investing your life and hanging out with sinners and getting proximate to the broken and, and pouring your life into people so that Jesus can use you to love them, you don't need to worry about your reputation. Yes, live a righteous life, but this whole like, well, I've got to avoid any appearance of evil, you should, but Jesus dances along the knife edge of that line his entire ministry, and his spirit lives in you, and you can too. So many times we're like, but what will people think about me? Do, do you see Jesus caring about that? Nope. He cared about lost people. And he was quite happy to sit down at a table with a pretty broken human being and connect with them over a meal. Let me tell you a story about what this looks like today. There's a woman named Mary. She attends a church in Nashville, Tennessee. She was really convicted as she read through the Gospel of Luke of how, how Jesus gets proximate to, to broken, hurting people. And, and her preacher was preaching messages like the one you're hearing now. And she was like, I, I got to do something about this. But here's the thing. Mary works in, in Nashville, Tennessee in the Christian music industry. Everybody she knows is a Christian, or at least they say they are. So, so she's under conviction, like, I need to go hang out with lost people, but I don't know how to do this. So she called the elders of her church, and she said, God's put this on my heart. I need to find a way to do this. I don't know how would you pray for me. And the elders laid hands on her, and they said, we're going to pray that God anoints you to a place where you can do this, where you can get close to the same kind of people that Jesus hung out with. So a couple weeks goes by, and she gets a phone call. She's a gifted piano player, and um, she gets a phone call from a guy who, who, who knew a dude that had heard her play one time. <laughs> it's just it's Nashville. Um, he was thinking maybe, he, you know, he's having a party Friday night and was wondering if she could just come play like some jazz and country kind of standards, just as some environmental music in the background, live music, but just quiet. Sure, yeah, she, maybe this is it, you know. So she goes, and the place is a bar. 
She grew up in like a teetotaler family. First time in her life to walk into a bar. Husband's at home with the kids, and here's this married woman walking into a bar, and, and it finds it's a place for this party, and finds out it's not the kind of bar that she even thought it would be. You know what I mean. That night she meets a young man named Jazz. Only one who talked to her all night long. They talked about some surface level stuff. She went home. Monday, the owner of the club called her and said, you did fantastic. What you did was perfect. Would you come back this Friday night? Like every Friday. We want you to come play every Friday and come play. So she says, uh, I got to talk to some people. So she talked to her husband. She talked to the elders. They, they prayed. She goes back again the next Friday night. Jazz is there. They strike up a conversation. They start talking. Every night, week after week, Mary goes on Friday night to play piano at this bar. And Jazz is there, and they build a friendship. <laughs> she finally gets the opportunity to meet Jazz's partner, another man. See, Jazz was 26 years old and in a homosexual relationship with a 48-year-old partner that had just been, found out he'd been diagnosed with AIDS. She met the two men and immediately invited them to her home for dinner. A couple weeks later, Jazz came without his partner, but he came. They had a nice meal. They enjoyed, continued their conversation from a couple weeks before. As the evening was wrapping up, Jazz began to cry. And Mary said, what, what's wrong? Are you okay? He said, no one has ever been this kind to me before. And I just, am, I just need to know why you would care so much for someone as worthless as me. And she said this, Jazz, I don't think you're worthless. I'm doing this because Jesus loves and cares for you very much. And if you want to find others who care about you like that, I'd love for you to come to church with my family on Sunday. Two weeks later, Jazz and his partner walked in the front door with Mary and her family. They were greeted by the elders. They were made to feel welcomed and loved in that place. That Sunday morning, Jazz wept again and said he'd never, as, as the music played and the sermon rolled on, he said, I've never heard anything so beautiful in all my life. Eight months later, Jazz and his partner died in the watery grave of baptism and gave their lives to the Lord. Shortly thereafter, ended their homosexual relationship, continuing to be friends. And two years after that, they're still active in that church, as far as I know. This is a true story. And they're sharing the love of Christ within their scope of influence. Now, not to put too fine a point on it, but if Jesus walked into a diner and he saw you sitting over here and he saw Jazz sitting here, I believe with all my heart that Jesus would walk in and he'd wink at you, but he'd sit with Jazz. And maybe, just maybe, if you could learn how to get your head around what we're talking about, he might just wave you over to the table. That's what this is about. 
That's what Jesus does. He comes in and he identifies with sinners. And because he wants to influence their friends, because he wants to change their lives. Are they wrong and out of a right relationship with God? Yes. Jesus doesn't mince words when it comes to sin. But the way that he shows love is by saying, I'm with you. We're in this together. Before we do, let's eat. (laughs) So here's my challenge. Between now and Thanksgiving, I'm challenging you to have dinner and invite someone who's not like you in some way, the most significant one being that they're not a follower of Jesus, to share your table for a meal. Here's what I want you to do. When you go home from church today, I want you to put an extra chair at your dining room table. Until Thanksgiving, put an extra chair, the one that you don't normally need, at your dining room table. As a reminder, it's like, but Casey, it doesn't match. So? But Casey, it doesn't fit. Figure it out. Jesus is bigger than that. Right? He's bigger than that. You put an extra chair at your dining room table until Thanksgiving as a reminder. (laughs) And maybe it's your favorite chair. Maybe you got a seat cushion that you'd like and it just fits you just, you give up that one. You sit in a folding chair. And you put an extra chair there as a reminder that our Jesus eats with sinners. Normally when we gather around a table, we pray before the meal. Today, I'd like for us to pray after it. Would you pray with me? Would you take a moment and praise God for saving you, for calling you to follow him in discipleship? Would you repent of your sin of not caring for the lost the way Jesus does? for not even using your table to reach them. Ask God to show you your Levi. Pray for the different ministries here at at Chapel Rock that are focused on connecting with the lost. Pray that God would put a burden on your heart to reach one person and bear witness to your faith before Thanksgiving. Lord, we confess that while being very grateful for our own salvation, that gratitude has not often overflowed in witness. And you were not like that at all. And we've said that our desire is to become whole in the way that you are whole. And so, God, we pray that you'd change us. Jesus, give us the same heart to identify with sinful people, to influence that that relational network, God, and, and call them into a changing relationship with you. Give us opportunities in the eyes to see that, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Luke is trying to show us how very early in Jesus' ministry he's expressing his love for and and mission to fallen and broken and wounded and impure people, the outsiders, 
And maybe today that's you. Maybe you're sitting alone in the diner and you can't wait for Jesus to walk in the door and eat with you. Did you hear me today? When Jesus eats with sinners, it's because he wants to identify with them and forgive their sin and he's saving you a seat at the table. In just a moment, we're gonna stand and sing together. If you're already a follower of the Lord, again, my challenge for you today is to decide to go home put an extra chair at your table and be praying about who God is going to put in it before Thanksgiving. If you're sitting alone at the dining room table, you need to know that Jesus loves you and he's calling you to follow him. And so I'm going to ask you as we stand and sing, if you're ready to follow this Jesus that loves you and is going to identify with you and not care about his reputation, you come down front and acknowledge him as Savior and Lord. Be baptized. Get that new life so that you can join us in this mission. Maybe you have a prayer need. You can go to the next step room. We'll have people down front ready to pray with you. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to sing together. You respond as God leads you today.